You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Well, guess what I'm talking about today? Any idea? <laughs> the, end, the end of times here. When was the last time you heard a message on the coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ? It's not a real popular message in churches. It should be because it's in the Bible, right? We have this hope. I'm still coming off of worshiping over there, guys. Wasn't that a great time of worship? Don't you appreciate our worship team? They're just amazing. <clears throat> so the 11 o'clock service is like the service that I get to worship because the, the Saturday night service, I'm like in the our green room and my face is down and I'm getting my heart right and making, just going through my whole routine. And then on Sunday morning, I'm, I'm kind of doing the same thing, but the 11 o'clock, I like it. It's good. I like it a lot, so I appreciate, uh, appreciate worshiping with you. God is so good, isn't he? He's so gracious and so loving and so merciful. And whew. All right, Jesus, thank you for your presence. Thank you, God. Uh, we worship you. Uh, we worship you. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you just take a hold of my heart. Holy Spirit, work in and through me according to Isaiah 61, Lord. Would you do that, God? Anoint this message. Give me strength. I want to leave it all out on the court for you, Lord. So do a special thing here in this service, God. I know there's people here right now that uh, are here because you drew them here. And there's this divine appointment you have with them, God. And I pray that, I pray, Lord, that they encounter you in a surprising and life-changing way. And if that's your desire, would you just tell God, God, speak to me. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Did you hear God was already calling someone and telling them <laughs> to listen that he has a message? Did you guys hear? Was that just me? Was that just... Hey, I, I forgot to pray about something else. <clears throat> um, I forgot to pray about something else. Yeah, I want to pray for our school district. Um, we have people in this church who are in leadership positions across the city and, um, and also on the school board, and uh, I got a text, you know, last week, and it was before it was public, and you may have gotten an email from our, from our school superintendent, um, but um, we've had uh, five students in our community over the last 40 days who believed to commit suicide, and uh, growing up, you know, when I was in school, that was not a normal thing, um, and, and now it's just kind of a normal thing, it seems like, and, you know, the devil wants to ultimately destroy he wants you to self-destruct. The scripture tells us the devil is the father of lies. That's who he is. And we have children and students, but not only children and students, we have adults too who live in a place of darkness and they're listening to the wrong voice in their life. And they, look, God is still calling. So whoever, no, I'm just kidding with you. But whatever it is, I, I want to encourage you to, to just pray for these, these families. In fact, I want to pray right now for them. Can we do that, guys? Can we pray? God, I just want to pray for these families who've been impacted by this horrible, horrible thing, Lord. I pray that you comfort them and then you're with them, Lord. I pray that you uh, just, may they sense your presence. In fact, I pray that you draw them to uh, a great Bible-driven church, Lord, and then may they experience you, Lord. And I, I can't imagine those families, they'll be mourning for the rest of their life, asking a whole bunch of questions, God, and I just pray that you come alongside them, God. Pray also for all of our students, Lord, and uh, so many of them, they have their own story, and they come to class, and, 
and they have a story, and, and, and I know teachers don't always know that story. So I pray, God, that you just uh, stir the hearts of our teachers, and you direct them and lead them with words and, and, and what, what student to approach and, and what that conversation needs to look like. I also pray for the parents, God. I know it's tough being a parent these days, guys, in our digital era, and I just pray that you give our parents wisdom, God. I pray that our parents um, lead our children to you, God. That's what I pray. I pray they, they themselves also experience healing and they experience your touch, Lord. So do that, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my heart's good now. Isn't it better? Whew. Ah, boy. Um, this, this sermon is about the second coming of Christ. And I know there's some people that are like second coming of Christ geeks and nerds. And they study it, and they're all into it, and they know dates and events and times. But it's so, it's, it's, one, it's a great mystery in a lot of ways. But I want to start off by showing you some movies, and, and, and don't tell me how they end. Um, this one is called Star Wars, I think. I, I think I've heard of it. Um, it it's a, I'm really worried in this movie about the Jedis being obliviated from the face of the earth. Should I be concerned about that? Do you guys think I should be concerned? Help me out now, church. Don't let me do all the, the talking up here. Should I be concerned about that? Should I be concerned that the Jedi's are going to be obliviated? All right, how about this one? Uh, this is another one, Adventures and Thanos, you know, and I'm really concerned about, you know, that, that, that the Avengers would not prevail. Uh, should I be concerned about that? Should I? <coughs> Don't make me work now. Come on now. Uh, how about this one, The Lion King? Uh, <laughs> I'm really worried about the scar, uh, scar taking over the kingdom. Should I be concerned about that? Okay, there you go. And how about this one? I'm really concerned that he's, I'm so glad they made another one. I'm so glad because I just really needed another one. And I'm really concerned John Rambo's not going to win again. Should I be concerned about that? Should I be concerned that they're going to make another movie in a few years of Rambo? <laughs> you know why I shouldn't be concerned? Because you know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. <clears throat> Do you know the end of the story? You know how it all goes down? You know what happens at the end? That's what I'm talking about today, guys. I'm talking about our future. Would you just turn to the person next to you and just tell them, be ready or get ready. Tell them, get ready. Tell them, get ready. Just tell them, get ready. <clears throat> get ready. Oh, boy. There's, uh, there's all kinds of terms and labels that are wrapped around this subject about the second coming of Christ. And it's so important for us as Christians, or if you consider yourself a Christian, it's important for you to know this. And if you're not a Christian, it's important for you to know how this story ends and what Scripture teaches all the way from Daniel to Revelation, and even before Daniel. It's important to know it. But there's all kinds of terms that have been connected to this. And um, there's terms like premillennial, historic premillennialism, dispensational premillennialism, Pan millennials. That's what Andy told me. You know what that means? Pan millennials. That means you just believe everything will pan out. That's what that means. Um, <laughs> plus, he told me that was funny. Uh, there's post-trib, pre-trib, mid-trib, all kinds of things re related to this. And here's the story. Here it is. Jesus Christ will one day return. Jesus Christ will one day return. We sang about that in, in, in our songs that we just sang, uh, the, the coming of our Lord. Jesus Christ will one day 
return. When I was uh, raising my, my son, Josiah, and my daughter, Hannah, and, and from when they were babies, we would talk about the birth of Christ and, you know, oh, this is Jesus, and he left heaven, and he came into our world, and he comes at a ba- as a baby, as an as, as innocent and, and vulnerable and, and fragile and all this. And I tell him, but one day, one day, he'll come back again, but he's not going to come back as a humble, fragile baby. He's going to come back very different as a conquering king with heaven's armies at his side. It'll be anybody on a white horse. It'll be completely, completely different. Paul the apostle, he encourages these Christians in Thessalonica, and he tells them this. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed, other versions say ignorant, about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. That means those who have died. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will, what church will, come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left, let's read it out loud, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So Paul is saying, look, if you call yourself a, you know, a Jesus follower, if you're a God-fearing person and and, and you believe in God, and, and, and you're even a follower of Christ. I'm going to try to make my Bible like a little cylinder here. He's saying you should have a different perspective, and the way you look at life should be through God's promises. The way you look at your problems should be through God's love. The way you see the events in this world should be through the sovereignty of God. The way you look at people should be through the love of God, through his eyes. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying if, you, if you're a Christian, then your perspective in life should be different. It should be different. Now, let me ask you this question just by a show of hands. How many of you believe Jesus Christ will return one day? Would you just raise your hand if that's your belief? Jesus Christ will, we're not going to write down anything down. I'm just going to know. A lot of people raise their hands. Here's the second question I want to follow up with. How many of you would like Jesus to return before the Broncos win the next Super Bowl? Would you just raise your hand? How many of you would like Jesus to return like today by three o'clock and, uh, or before the Kansas City Chiefs win, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny is every time I ask that second question of how many of you would like him to return quickly, typically there's fewer hands. There's like always fewer hands. And I think it's kind of, kind of like, you know, thinking, well, we wanted to take that family vacation. You know what I mean? Or, you know, if you're not married, you're like, well, I want to get married first, and I want to have sex, and I want to, I'd like that to happen, you know? Or, or if you're like, in your career, I really want to advance in my career, so not quite yet. I'm not ready yet. Or I want to move to, you know, Florida or Texas, not Texas, or California, Southern Cal, and I want to retire there and drive around a golf cart, and then Jesus can come. You know what I mean? For whatever reason, this idea of Jesus coming, I'm not sure if we truly understand it or appreciate what's happening here. But Paul encourages them. 
as I prayed about this message, guys, um, I said, Lord, where do you want me to, where do you want me to go? And the Lord just brought Matthew chapter 24 and 25 to my attention. And, and um, it's known as the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse. And chapter 24 and 25 is a result of two questions that were asked to Jesus by the disciples. They asked him these two questions. And so all of chapter 24, he just unpacks what the end of the story is going to look like. And in chapter 25, you can read that for extra credit. He, he, he helps explain this idea of what it means to be ready. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in Matthew chapter 24. I hope you're cool with that. Uh, it's a phenomenal chapter. So let's just start at verse 1. It says, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. I find this really interesting because it's like, like, like the disciples are walking with Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you've seen this building. Look, look, at, look at the lines on this building. Look at the architecture behind this building. Isn't this amazing? Look, at, look, at, look what we've done here, Jesus. Look at these buildings. And I can only imagine Jesus thinking, are you really telling me something that I don't know already? And I'm I, you know, bragging about this whole thing. And verse 2, he says, but he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth that, that they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. So the disciples were bragging about these buildings. Jesus, look at these buildings. And Jesus just totally just squashes the whole thing. And he says, look, these things aren't even going to be around. You know what he was doing? He was predicting 37 years later, after he said this, the year A.D. 70, the temple would be destroyed by Rome in A.D. 70. And Jesus is saying, all this that you're looking at, that you're bragging about, that, you're, that, you're, that you look at and, and you're, you're infatuated with, it's not even going to be around in 37 years. And the Lord put this on my heart to share with you. We can become enamored with things that won't be around in 37 years. We can brag about something that means more to us than to God. We can be fixed on something in this world that won't matter in heaven. You ever been consumed with the worry? Consumed with it to the point where it keeps you up and then it never happens. We can be consumed and infatuated with something that has no eternal value and you can let it take over your heart. Verse 3 says, Later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately and said, here comes the two questions, tell us when will all this happen and what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? <clears throat> I think sometimes we ask God questions that are bigger than us. And sometimes I think God says, you know what, even if I explained it to you, you wouldn't get it. And this is one of those times. Incidentally, the when question is not recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. It's recorded in the Gospel of Luke, the when question. And in Luke, it says, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. That's, that's the Jerusalem question. But the what sign will signal your return in the end of the world is found in Matthew chapter 24. Verse 4, Jesus tells them, don't let anyone mislead you. So right out of the gates, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and it's a word for us that you have the possibility to be misled. We have the possibility to be misled. 
You can go down the wrong path, the wrong belief, the wrong theology, whatever. All of us have a box of theology, whether you go to church or not. You have, a, you have a, your own definition of who God is, and you have your own de- definition of heaven. You have your own definition of, 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 of what this is. But we have a box of theology that we come with, a box of beliefs. And Jesus is saying, don't let anyone mislead you. In other words, there's a truth. And hear this, not everyone will think like you think. Not everyone will value what you value. Not everyone will worship who you worship. And you got to be okay with that because you have to decide what you believe. You have to decide who you're going to be. And Jesus just says this, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. So we're talking about like false prophets and wars. And all you have to do is watch the news, guys. Rumors of wars. You know what I'm talking about. Unusual disturbances in nature. Right? What is like an earthquake? Really? A tsunami? Really? What is that about? Famines. When I was uh, working on this message, I was working on it the whole week and praying really hard, guys. And I, I was here at the office yesterday about 11 o'clock, and as I was typing, I'm typing up about the end of the world, so to speak, and the return of Christ. And as I'm typing, my computer completely shuts down. It goes black, and my lights in my office shut off, and all the lights in the halls shut off, and the emergency lights come on. And I'm like, it's happening right now! <laughs> I'm going to write this message. So I went outside, out by Ace Hardware, and it turns out everybody was locking their doors. They were afraid of looting, but the whole business trip here or whatever, all shut down. All power went off. It was a big power outage. I thought it was just ironic that I was writing this message when this happened. It kind of freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> verse, five, verse 9, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. You still want to follow Christ? Mm. You know what the book of Revelation calls people who don't believe? Cowards. Calls them cowards. Being a, walking, walking with Christ is the most courageous thing you'll ever do. And here, Jesus is saying there's going to be a day for those Christians who are living at this time. Those Christians, they will be arrested, persecuted, killed, hated all over the world because they are followers of Christ. Something tells me during this time, those Christians, I think, I don't think certain things are going to bother them that used to bother them. You know, there's going to be, there's going to be, I don't think they're going to worry about stuff that, that they used to worry about, like, like when was this service going to be over? When is church going to be done? You know, what is, is there good child care? I hope there's good child care. I sure hope Starbucks is open right now because I need, I, I need my, you know, latte. I, I sure hope this, you know, I don't think we're going to be consumed about those kinds of stuff, that kind of stuff. I think it's going to be different. I want you to hear this. You are training today for future battles. You are training today for future battles. All of us have our own battles. And you are training today. You are, God wants you to learn faithfulness today. God wants you to, to learn perseverance today. God wants you to learn endurance today. 
God wants you to learn how to walk by faith today. Because you got to hear this. If you can't walk with God in a time of peace, how can you do it in a time of war? If you can't walk with God in a time of peace, how can you do it in a time of war? God wants you to learn strength, his strength today. Jesus goes on. He says, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Now, this is like internal stuff. I mean, these are like, like Christians we're talking about. Many will turn away from me. That's Jesus. And these Christians will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And let's read this last part out loud. And the love of many. Whew. It's a tough spiritual situation. <clears throat> Hear this. The true test of your faith is who you are when you've been betrayed, hurt, and hated. When sin is accessible and cold, godless hearts around you, then you have to decide how deep your faith runs. How deep your faith runs. Whew, you ever been hurt? <laughs> you ever been betrayed? You, you know, you, get, you have to get to this place where you say, you know what, <clears throat> though he let me down, I know he won't let me down. Though she let me down, I know he will never let me down. Even though this, this is a tough situation, I know my God is faithful. My God will watch over me. My God will never let me down. He's the God who neither sleeps nor slumbers. And I know he hears my prayers, and I'm going to keep my faith in him, even though I feel like I've been through the ringer. I'm going to keep walking by faith. I'm going to keep reading God's word. I'm going to keep going to church. I'm going to endure. I'm going to persevere. Those times of testings, you know, that stuff that we go through that's just hard, it has a way of exposing who we really are. I remember when I was in Colorado Springs, and I was a pastor there, and I felt like, gosh, I'm really growing in my walk with Jesus. I felt like I was doing really, really well. And then um, when Grace and I, you know, we've been married for a while, and, and uh, we were, I dated her for the first time. We went out on a date literally like one week before I graduated high school, one week. So uh, I just needed a ride home, and she had a car that she liked a lot, and I didn't want to walk. So I said, hey, can you give me a ride home? That's what happened. But then it just led, led you know, next thing you know, we're sitting at Taco Cabana. But anyway, so while, um, <clears throat> but, but her mom and dad were not real excited about a, a, a guy like me. I had this reputation of partying and all this stuff, and I was far from God. So I get it now that I have a daughter. I get it. And, uh, and uh, anyway, so she was not too, uh, they were not too excited. So there's all kinds of stories behind that. But I'll just tell you that her mom and dad made it clear to me that they were not happy about me dating their beautiful daughter. And I understand. So, but I, I had a, you know, I wasn't a Christian at the time. So there was a little bit of some stuff happening inside of my heart. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, a little bit of who do they think that they, you are, they are, you know, kind of thing. And I didn't like it at all. And uh, it just wasn't cool. And uh, when, I, when I, even when I became, they would interrogate, I mean, just ask me questions and, and about, uh, whew, I gotta let it go. Okay. <laughs> so, but I remember I had these hard feelings and I can tell you, I remember the day I was in Colorado Springs, fast forward, I was in Colorado Springs and, and uh, I felt like, gosh, I'm really growing in my walk with God and I'm learning scripture and I'm doing all this stuff. And my mother-in-law and father-in-law came to visit me and I looked at them and everything, stuff bubbled up inside of me. And I said stuff that I shouldn't, that I wanted to take back. You know what I mean? 
I, I said things that all of a sudden I became someone that I didn't want to be. And sometimes there's circumstances that God allows you to go through to show you who you really are. Sometimes God allows you to go to certain places, whether whatever it is, and you're in that party or you're in that scene or it's that relation or that person, and it, maybe it's at night or whatever it is. Sometimes God allows you to go places to show you who you really are. And it's in those moments that you have an opportunity to say, God, I don't want to be that person. God, I want you to do a work inside of me because I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like what I'm looking at. I don't like the words that are coming out of my mouth. I don't like that sight that I'm visiting. I don't like how I'm feeling right now inside. I don't like what, I don't want to do that. And, and it's those moments right there. It's those moments right now that are battle moments where you can say, God, I, 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 I'm going to choose to, I'm going to do this, for, I'm going to do this with you, God. And I'm all in. I'm all in. <clears throat> this is a time of testing. If your faith is dependent on if things go your way, you won't last. If your faith is dependent on your comfort, you won't last. If your faith is dependent on your preferences, you won't last. Verse 13, Jesus says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's a good word. That's countercultural. Sometimes we can approach God like we do our cell phone provider, or we, we approach church like we do our you know, fitness club or whatever. We know we should go work out. We don't always work out. Exhibit A, I get it. I get it. <clears throat> Much of my life is sitting. Anyway, I'll keep going. But <laughs> verse 14 says, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So here this verse tells us something. It's a little hint. And the hint is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ will be spread throughout the whole world. People in Papua New Guinea will hear about it. People in Peru. People all over Africa. People all over Russia. People all over Antarctica. <laughs> wherever it's good. People will hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think about our technology, and I think this is really possible. Verses 15 through 26, these are some really tough verses, guys. It, it, it's, there's these prophecies that are all in 15 through 26. And, and prophecies like the, the Jewish people will one day worship again like the days of old. And that'll happen in Jerusalem. So there's, there's two temples that were built. The very first temple in Jerusalem was built. Anybody who knows who built, what king built this temple? He's in the Old Testament. What's his name? It starts with an S. Solomon, that's right. Remember David, it was man after God's own heart, and David wanted to build a temple, but God told him, you know what, you've got too much blood on your hands. We're going to let your son do it. And so Solomon built the temple, and that was right around 1000 BC, 1000 BC when that happened. And then something happened. Eventually that temple was torn down by, by the Babylonians in 586 BC. But in 515 BC, the temple was rebuilt. This when the, the, the Israelites were in Babylon and, 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 and King Cyrus, God stirred the heart of a pagan Assyrian, or this pagan king named Cyrus, and, and he said, you know what, Jeremiah, go ahead and go, go build. So he went back, and it was right around 515 B.C. that the temple, the second temple, was built. And that's the one that the apostles 
were enamored with. That's the one that they were telling Jesus, hey, look at this temple. Look at it. It was built 515 BC. Look at this temple. But in 70 AD, Rome destroyed it. So that's why if you go right now to Jerusalem, there's the Wailing Wall. And really the Wailing Wall there, it's not like uh, the wall of the temple. It's really more like a, like, like a retainer wall, a retention wall. But that wall on the other side is where the temple was at. And of course, the, the Wailing Wall, people go put little prayer notes all over that wall and, and pray and God hears their prayers. But, but that's not the temple. Scripture tells us that one day, uh, one day according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, that, that there will be worship again. And Daniel also tells us there's going to be this thing, this person called the Antichrist. So Scripture teaches in Daniel and Revelation, and this Antichrist will make a protective treaty with Israel, and then he'll break this agreement, and then there's going to be great persecution in Israel, and then he'll set up his own center of worship in the temple in Jerusalem. It's called the Abomination of Desolation. That'll happen. There'll be death, false prophets. And then verse 27 says this. Here comes the Son of Man. Jesus says, For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as the gathering of vultures show there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky. I think that's going to get our attention, don't you think? And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. It's really weird when things happen. Have you noticed, like, whether it's a, a big snowstorm, when a big snowstorm happens, have you noticed, you, like, you talk to neighbors that you might normally not talk to? Like, everybody comes out, and we help each other out, and we do that kind of thing. When this power outage happened yesterday, I go out, and there's all these employees with Ace Hardware outside and the liquor store and everywhere else, and I'm just talking to them. And I'm like, if it wasn't for that power outage, I never would have had that conversation. And the heavens will be shaken. And verse 30 says, and then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Are you ready? I know I'm put in a lot of scripture out there. This is, I, I hope you retain it here. Revelation chapter 19, here's what it looks like. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress." On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Who are we talking about right here? What's his name? It's Jesus. So when will this happen? So what I want you to do, I'm going to give you a date right here. When will it, Get out your calendar, your eye calendar, your Google calendar. Here it is. Matthew chapter 24 tells us when it's going to happen. 
However, let's read it out loud. No, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven and the Son himself. What does it say? Only, only God the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time of Noah entering his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came. Wow. And swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So Jesus tells this crowd, it's going to be just like the days of Noah. So I, I did a little reading. I went back to Genesis chapter 6, and I just wanted to understand this. this I, the Lord drew my attention to this idea of Noah's day because I, I think we're, we, are, we are becoming more and more like the days of Noah. What's right? What's wrong? <clears throat> church, no church. <clears throat> is this truth or is this just a great novel? just a good way to live. Are there other ways to go to heaven? And, and what's right? You know, what's, what's a lie? You know, just the days of Noah. I think about the days of Noah, and you got this guy named Noah, and I, I'm just thinking, if I were there, I would think this guy was legitimately crazy. Because he decides to build this boat on his front lawn for something called rain that nobody had ever really seen. And he tells everyone that God's going to reboot Humanity. He's going to reformat the whole thing. And he's going to start all over. And everyone's invited to come into the boat. You think people just thought he was crazy? I think so. I think, have you ever done something crazy for God that nobody understands? Have you entered that realm of obedience where I'm going to do this, I feel like God's calling me to do this, and people look at you and say, you're nuts. Have you been there before? So then you have, as the scripture says, in the days of Noah, everybody was doing like their normal things. Like they went to King Supers, they went to Starbucks, they went, you know, they were just doing, it was normal life. How was your day? It was good, fine, I had a busy day at work, I had this, you know, it was tough or whatever, I'm going to watch Shark Tank now, whatever it is. It's just a normal day. Nothing, nothing is standing out. And I think during this time also, there was this place of like almost no fear of God. Because Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. They just kind of let themselves go. Jesus says, two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken. The other left. It's called the rapture. That's what we saw that video. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken. The other left. Two people will be standing at Starbucks. One will be taken. The other left. So you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. Then verse 44, here it is. You also must, what church? Say it one more time. Be ready. That's the instruction we get from God. That's, the, that's, what, that's what the word tells us. That's what Jesus tells us. You must also be ready all the time. 
For the Son of Man will come when least expected. When least expected. What are we told? To be ready. I think about maybe the way we could see this is, um, you know, have you ever, you know, on your job, you know, where you work, do you have anyone who like only works when the boss is around? You know what I mean? Those people who have strong work ethics, it drives them nuts. You know, but when the boss is not around, they're looking at their phone, they're making personal calls, they're walking a little slower, they're just kind of chilling and going through, they're keeping an eye on the watch because they want to, you know, don't be that person. In fact, Colossians tells us that those people who are God-fearing people, the Christians, their work ethic should stand out because you are working for the Lord and the Lord sees you all the time. In fact, Scripture says those kinds of employees are refreshing to the employer. They are refreshing to the employer because the boss knows who doesn't work. It's like, here comes the boss. Oh, you know, kind of thing. And I kind of think like that. I kind of think like, you know, Scripture tells us that we should be living our life with an awareness that God sees us and an awareness that I need to make sure I'm ready. It's not about I need to get ready on my deathbed. It's not about I need to get ready someday. It's about I need to make sure I'm ready right now, right now. Right now. One of the greatest lies of the enemy is you can handle that later. Put it off. He'll give you a distraction or something. You don't need to. Don't worry about that. Put it off. Just put it off. And I really thought about this idea of God wants to find us ready. And I thought, what does that look like? I think we might have different interpretations you know, beliefs so what does it mean to be ready? I mean, like, does it mean to be ready just to make sure my house is clean? You know, like when you have someone coming over your house and you're like, get the house ready because they're going to be coming over, so I need to clean up. And is that what it means? Or does it mean, you know, I just need to make sure that, you know, I'm dressed or something? Or what does it mean to be ready? And when Scripture says, this is what it means to be ready, first thing you need to do is, if you want to be ready, here it is. You need to make sure you have a heart full of Jesus. A heart full of Jesus. That means you've been spending time in his word and you're walking with God. And you're, It takes work to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got you've to take time to read his word and you've got to pray. And, 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 and here's the, the, the fear. I, or, I don't want to be in that situation when I see Jesus face to face and I'm saying, hey, nice to meet you, I'm Reuben. I want to be like throwing my arms all around him and saying, Jesus, I just talked to you like two minutes ago this morning. I just talked to you. It's so good to see you in person. I was ministering to um, um, one of our men who was passing away about a year or two years ago. He was literally on his deathbed, but he was still conscious and, and uh, he could hear me, but, but um, he was like, you know, had tubes all around and stuff, but he could hear me. And I said, hey, brother. I've never asked anyone to do this, you know, when I've, I've had a lot of moments and births and deaths. And I, I told him, hey, brother, can you do something for me? And he nodded. And I said, when you see Jesus face to face, can you give him a hug and tell him this is for Ruby? So I told him. 
come to, I come here to church because I'm a Christian, not because I'm a pastor. I never. Yeah, God just did that. Do you know Jesus? <laughs> really know? He wants to deliver you. He wants to set you free. He wants to fill you with a joy and a peace that is different from what this world offers. The other thing I think what be ready means is you've got to have a heart for his church. I mean, when he finds you, you know, he, uh, figuratively speaking, he shouldn't find you lying down on the couch in a t- with a T-shirt with a bag of potato chips on your chest and saying, yeah, I'm in. Figuratively speaking, what he should find is you serving, you giving, you loving. Because the church is his baby. It's not human, human's baby. It's not man's baby. Man's baby. It's his baby. Jesus is the CEO and founder of the church. So we should have the same heart for the church that Jesus has. We should love people. You know, when you read when we read there in, in Matthew, one of the one of the marks, one of the things that will happen is the love of many will grow. What church will grow? Cold. Remember that? It said it'll go cold. Some of you, you just don't like people. <laughs> you just don't love people. And you're not gonna like heaven. I'm just gonna tell you that right now. Because there's gonna be a whole bunch of people out there. But for some of you, maybe your prayer needs to be. God, help me to love people the way you love me. Help me to extend grace the way you've extended grace towards me. Help me to forgive God the way you have forgiven me. Last thing is this. What does be ready mean? I believe it means that you are full of a faithful heart. You're walking in obedience. Do you think obedience matters to God? It's his love language. That's what Jesus said. It's his love language. A faithful servant. Just being faithful to whatever God has called you to do. Being faithful to him. Being faithful to him. Revelation says, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, and there it is again, and who is to come. The Almighty. You know what the last two verses are in the Bible? The very, very, very last two verses in the Bible. You know what it says? It's Revelation chapter 22. It says this. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. I'm so grateful that the grace of God is with us. Aren't you? Aren't you grateful you have a God full of grace and compassion? I know I am. I'm so grateful we have a God who forgives sins. I'm so grateful we have a God who does do-overs. I'm so grateful we have a God who says, I haven't given up on you. I'm so grateful we have a God that says, you'll never be too far from my hand to reach. I'm so grateful we have a God who says, I'm still your father. I'll be with you, and that'll be enough. Aren't you glad that's your God? Aren't you glad you have a God like that that will never let you down and loves you and will pull you up and wash you and give you new strength and new hope? That's your God. That's your God. That's your God. 
Oh, yeah, put your hands together. That's your God. I'm so grateful we have that God. Oh, my word. I burn God's grace, and I'm so grateful for him. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you, God, for this hope that we have in you. I'm grateful, God, we can know you now. We could know you now. I'm so grateful, God. I'm so grateful you're still at work and you're still drawing people to yourself even now and you're still changing hearts now. I'm so grateful, God, that you're the one pulling the strings behind redemption. You're the one pulling the strings behind restoration. And you're the one pulling the strings behind wholeness. I'm so grateful for that, God. If you need to ask Jesus into your heart, Maybe you need a heart full of Jesus. Would you just say this? Jesus, I need you to fill my heart. With my mouth, I confess that you are Lord Jesus. And with my heart, I believe. And I just ask you to fill my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I turn to you. I want to know your presence. I want to know your voice. I want to talk to you when I'm in the car, when I'm at home, when I'm on a run, when I'm on a walk, when I'm at work. I just want to get to know you, Jesus. So, this morning, as best as I know how, I ask you, Jesus, to be my Lord and Savior and God. I turn from my sins and I turn to you. Others of you might need to say this prayer. God, I need to get ready. I'm not ready. So reveal to me right now what I need to let go of to be ready. Reveal to me right now what I need to change to be ready. Reveal to me what new habits I need to start to be ready. Just give me that clarity, God. God, our trust is in you. Our faith is in you. Our worries, we don't worry. We leave them in your hands. We thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.